you know, I don't care if you're a CEO of a company or you're the CEO of a basketball program, make it your culture. Make it about, you know, that, that, that if it doesn't work, it's because, you know, you put everything about it. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to, you know, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but you've got to make sure it's your culture. And one of the things that I decided when we do, I, I wanted to do here is that everything that they had to do with this program previously, I got rid of from the uniforms to the locker room, everything that we have to have, you know, the way we go to class, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we answer questions, because it was a losing mindset. Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, where knowledge nuggets aren't something you eat, but something you learn. This week, myself and Kyle sit down with Tulane head men's basketball coach, Coach Ron Hunter. In this episode, he talks about how to make any organization culture your own. Also, how to find any little thing to gain that edge in competition. And of course, he drops some great parenting advice and knowledge for Kyle and myself. So get ready to laugh with Coach Ron Hunter. What's going on? Oh, man, everything. Trying to figure <laughs> out if I got a job, we're going to play. And my goodness, it's uh, whew, crazy times. Yeah, it's not what we want, but you got to make the most of it, it sounds like. That's so. exactly right. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, love to have you. Uh, so big shout out to Coach Coach Hunter here. But the real question is, so Calvin shows up to work at times, not with no shoes, but not tied shoes. Now, you show up to work sometimes without shoes, but it's for a great cause. And that's what we want to start with. Can you really tell us about the Samaritan's Feet cause, Coach, and, you know, using your platform and here at the Underdog, you know, really talking about adversity and the kids you're working with in different countries and even here locally and whatever you've done, the 10 million, you know, plus shoes, I don't know where you're up to now, but can you talk about that coach? And we'll, let's start off right there. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I, I definitely appreciate uh, not having the statue of Shaman. I'll, I'll have to uh, speak to the higher ups at CJ and see where, where, why my statue isn't sitting on Ludlow street, but uh, that's another <laughs> conversation. But uh, no, man, I, the, the, the Samaritan's feet thing is, has something that has been near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, I was a head coach when I was 30 years old. At that time, I was one of the youngest head coaches in the country. And, you know, at that time, man, you want to, you know, you, you want to build your career. You want to get to the final four. You want to win a national championship. You're thinking all those great things can happen. And, and that's how I was going about my life at that particular time. And uh, I'll never forget this. We were coming back from planning Alaska shootout. And uh, we, 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 we didn't play well in the tournament and got back. And I get a phone call that night when we land from a guy named Manny Ahomey. And uh, he had talked about, uh, hey, listen, we have this, we're trying to bring awareness to children that don't have shoes. And, and man, I'm thinking about the loss and, and what's next and those things. And so uh, I said, listen, yeah, we, we, let's meet in about a week or so. And we met and uh, he basically came into my office and we talked about uh, the number of children that, that in this world that have no shoes. And I had absolutely no idea. And I felt a little selfish at the time because I'm so consumed and worried about myself that I thought, man, I cannot believe this can happen. So I asked him, say, hey, what can we do to help you with this? And he said, you know, uh, he just had just talked the next day to Maya Angelo. And uh, Maya Angelo talked about basically, you know, being a servant and, and finding people that can, that, that can go help. And so I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm in the state of Indiana. What if we get Bob Knight or maybe at that time we had Gene Katie at Purdue. Uh, we had at that time Isaiah Thomas was coaching at, for the Pacers. 
were just trying to come up with names of people that I thought could really make a difference. And he kept saying, nah, I don't think that's going to work. And I'm like, well, I can't get you any bigger names, but you know, I can try. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, we need you to do it. And I thought, man, listen, I'm young in my, my career and I don't want to mess things up for me. And, and I'll never forget this. I said, give me a, let me think about it. I'll let you know tomorrow. And I asked 10 people if I should coach a game barefoot to bring awareness to this. Nine of them said, no, don't do it, coach. You're too young in your career. You don't know how people take it. The last person I asked was my mom, who still lives in Dayton. And my mom said that I would be disappointed if he didn't. And so I called back and said, I'm going to do it. And I'll be honest with you, it, it not only changed my life, but I think it changed a lot of lives in, in, in children because, you know, I've been to Africa. I've been to several different continents. I've been to a, a lot of places bringing shoes to kids. And, man, when you can sit in Africa or you can sit in Lagos, Nigeria, and you're sitting across a child that's 9 or 10 years old, you give them their first and sometimes only pair of shoes. And they don't speak. They, they, have, they speak no English. And they accept that. Uh, man, I'm telling you what, there's no Final Four. I've, I play, I've coached in a lot of games. There's nothing that I could see that could ever be greater than that. Um, sitting next to me was my son. He, we, we ran out of shoes, and my son took off his, his shoes that he brought to Africa to give to another kid. To sit there and wash the feet of a child and just to tell them how much that you care and you love them. And they have sometimes no idea what you're talking about, but that language of being a servant kind of takes over. Uh, that for me, when I realized that my life had changed, that this life wasn't about me, me coaching wasn't about me winning championships or how much money I made. This was become my purpose. And it took me till I was 30, 31 years old to realize that that was my purpose in this regards. But I tell you what, when I found it, man, I, I, I've been running with it ever since. And it's been something that I say has changed my life. But, uh, uh, but again, we hope we've been able to bless a lot of children with it. And one thing I saw, Coach, in part of your movement, and we'll go through your career, but something you asked Troy Dannon in the dinner when he was interviewing you, was said, hey, this is kind of a make or break it for me. And that's what I love is like you put not only action of going there, washing kids' feet, but as you progress in your career, is like if your university where you're working won't support that, that's part of your decision-making process. Not only, you know, how important it is for your family and different things, it's your your community outreach and you know, when, when you said that to Troy Dan and as part of that, you're at the dinner, that just really, you know, I guess, uh, really saturated with me as far as how significant that cause is. And, um, you know, I don't know if my feet, they're pretty ugly. So if I didn't wear shoes to work, <laughs> we might have to do that here at the job center, but, uh, no, I love it. And, uh, I know that's, that's so significant of give a shoe change of life. So great, great continued work on that. And where does that stand now? Just out of, as we kind of conclude on this. Man, I'm telling you, it, it's been a blessing. I mean, we when we first start off, we talked about you know if we can raise you know fifty thousand shoes. And our first day, we raised one hundred twenty thousand. We put a goal of ten million. We're at fifteen million now. Uh, I know that uh, coaches right state. We've got coaches all around the world that have that have joined with us. Whether it's been football players, football coaches, uh, the soccer world. Uh, it's just amazing how one conversation and having you know something that we just sat in an office talked about how it's blown up to this. But more importantly, not so much the people that help. That imagine that you know we look at this, the shoes as hope, and so we've given out 15 million shoes to children and given them hope around the world. So uh, if that's my legacy and it's part of it, man, I'll take that 110 times over. Hey, winning a Final Four, winning basketball games, because what we were able to do is win souls and win lives. I think that, and while that you know I, I, that's definitely your legacy, and I think that is something that I think people can really take from. Um, and there's, I think there's another piece. 
um, that is, I think, inspirational to a lot of people and something that that put you, uh, if you will, put you on the map. Um, and let's go back to uh, one shining moment um, back <laughs> uh, a few years back. Um, you, you tear your Achilles, um, and in, and I'll, let me just add, you were at the time you you know you were known for you know you had turned Georgia um, State around. You know what I mean? You had turned IUP IUPU around IUPUI around. Right. Um, and so you uh, you tear your Achilles, um, and you still got a coach because it's a big, it's, it, it's a critical time of the season. Can you take us back to that moment of when that happened for the listeners who may not remember? And if you don't remember this, go to YouTube, you can Google it um, because it's one of those moments that, you know, like I said, I'll never forget. And I know a lot of people who follow NCAA basketball um, remember, will remember this forever. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, um, most places I go, that's what most people remember and ask me about how had the shot or my son and those things. But what's crazy about that is that we were playing a conference championship game on a Sunday and uh, the selection show was later on that, that, that evening. And last play, my son actually hit a couple free throws. They win the game. They go down, they miss the shot. Well, everyone jumps up and, and celebrate. Well, when I jumped up, before I got back down, and you know, Shaman, I was a big-time athlete. Man, I can jump. I had a 40-inch vertical, all that. It might be two inches right now. But <laughs> I jumped up, and before I hit down, I realized that something had happened, and I fell, and I knew it was my Achilles right away. I mean, it popped, and, and, and I heard it. And, you know, even with all the crap, people going everywhere. So my son decides to run over and hug me. And he's looking at me and he saw tears come on my eyes. He said, Dad, I've never seen you this happy. I've never seen you cry before. I said, I'm not happy because you made the damn shot. I'm happy. I said, I'm crying because my, I tore my Achilles. He said, what? I said, I tore my Achilles. Get your mom. I need some help. So, <laughs> so with all the confetti, people going crazy. So all of a sudden he goes over and he tells his mom that, uh, hey, Dad needs some help. And so it took a while for the team doctors and people. They thought I was actually on the ground celebrating and I was – I was in pain because I tore my Achilles. And so uh, and what was crazy, we win the game and we were supposed to fly out and, and, and get back to Atlanta. And we decided because coach tears his Achilles that we're going to take a bus back and we're going to have a party bus back from New Orleans all the way back to Atlanta. So I told Doc, listen, just give me some pain pills. I want to party. This doesn't happen often. I've done this with my son. And so I had felt no pain until when the pain pills were off and we got to Mississippi. I start crying again that pain was hurting so bad uh, but it was great and so then of course we go in, in, in the first round game and we play Baylor and uh, uh, I'm coaching with a scooter and you know we, we, we actually struggled early in the game RJ probably had one of his worst games and then we come back and he scores the last 12 points of the game well we got a rebound and just father like father and son he never listens to anything I said when they got the rebound he's coming down court I'm yelling he's looking at me and I'm saying time out time out he doesn't call a timeout. He runs down, pass the ball, hits the three, makes the three. Everybody goes crazy. We're talking about it, you know, all the news outlets. So we finally get back in the locker room, and I look at him, and I said, son, I said call a timeout. He said, yeah, you also told me to clean my room, and I didn't clean my room yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so we always still laugh about that. But uh, you know what's great about that, man, is I said that man, when you can share something like that with your child, 
uh, it just it, it's so much. You know, you talk about Samaritan's Feet thing and, and RG and I, we shared so much of that together. And also my daughter, Jasmine, also. And to, for us as a family to share that moment together, man, it just it, it just makes college basketball and every it, it, it's, it's, it's I can't explain. It. I wish every father out there could experience something like that with their child. Now, you're on record for saying for all of those great moments that you got to experience with RJ, um, you're also on record of saying that, you know, those was I think those three years you spent coaching RJ were some of the toughest years for you having to coach your son. And, you know, a lot of times we try to correlate this this podcast to business to the business world. Uh, Kyle works, um, his, you know, his father works with us. Um, and there's some other family dynamics as well. And I know that, you know, just conversations him and I have had, you know, off the record where, you know, there's been some difficult times. Um, and, you know, from the outside looking in, we see you guys on TV in the NCAA tournament. And it's all this, like you said, confetti and, and great. But it hasn't always been that way. And it wasn't that way for the three years. Can you talk about, um, you know, that dynamic and, and kind of the how it was tough and how you guys were able to overcome that? You know, I've been coaching now, man, over close to 30 years. Uh, those are the three of the hardest years I've ever had in my life to coaching. Um, and and not because of my son and I have a great, we had a great relationship then and we have even a better one now, but everything that came with with all of that. And so, you know, you you know, sometimes I was harder on him than what I needed to be because you want to show the other kids that, you know what, that, that you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be leaning on your own son. And so sometimes I, I was harder on him. I'll give you a perfect example. The year before that, we were in a championship game and we the team came back. They hit a shot to beat us on a last second shot. And I got into the locker room. All the I walked, so I walk in. I saw my son in the corner. He's crying. The rest of the team's crying. They're upset. I had a chance as a father to go hug my son and tell him it was going to be okay, or I can address the entire team. And we knew we were going to play in the NIT. And so I had to make a decision: is do I hug my son and tell him it's okay, or do I galvanize the team? And I made a decision right there to galvanize the team. To this day, the worst mistake I made in my life. I should have went to my child first and make sure he was okay, then talk about the team. But those are the type of decisions that during the process that, that, that people don't understand. There are times that I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm being hard on my son and he calls home and he tells mom, you know, man, dad's yelling at me. He's not yelling at the other guy. So I get home, guess what? There's no dinner. And so I went three years basically without eating because every time I yell at him, he call her and then she wouldn't fix me any food. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, this, it, it was tough on mom because she would be in the stands and if we had her interaction in the game, everyone in the stadium watched what her reaction would be. So she kind of had to just sit there. And so uh, it, 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 it was really tough. I remember having a conversation with Homer Drew about it because he, you know, he coached his son also and really kind of had the same kind of moment in the NCAA tournament. And so I try to get as much information as I could, but I will tell you this, as much as successes we had and as much as I love my child, if I had to go do this all over again, knowing that my son was going to be a pro, I probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, it's too hard on the family. You've got to have a real strong family to get through all the things that come with that. And so that's why I talked about it. And really the hug and the excitement and all the things that you saw in the NCAA tournament was an accumulation of all the things we had gone through. And so when he decided, when we, it's funny, when he went pro and he, he left early, it's, we had no conversations about whether he should go pro or not. There was no dinner. There was no we just knew that as a family, regardless of what happened, we got to the NCAA tournament together as a father and a son, something we said we wanted to do. We knew that that was it. We knew that I probably, once we were done with the NCAA tournament, I was done coaching uh, just because of all the things that had to come with that. And he was probably tired of you telling him to clean his room. 
Well, that too. <laughs> 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 you made a lot of money, and I'm still telling you that. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, but I, I have to say, just the, it's it's refreshing to hear that some of the there's so much uh, great things that can happen. But just to kind of put a tell you about my situation is I partner with my father-in-law and my dad right now kind of works for me per se, even though I don't look at it that way. So I kind of got my father-in-law, you talk about not dinner, right? So I can't, I gotta be, I can maybe not eat at all or get, you know, cause I got the father-in-law over here. So I couldn't go over there. And then my dad over here. So I got to keep at least one of them happy, but mm-hmm. uh, no, it's, it does. And, and one thing I took away coach and listen to some of your, your content that's out there in a, in an interview was how you say, Hey, do you want me to be the coach? Or do you want me to be your dad? And I think that was something. Can you touch upon that? Anyone that's maybe struggling? Because I think there is a lot more coaches and family members that work with each other. And I've thought about that too. And a takeaway, a tangible takeaway for me is that, you know, whether it's my father-in-law or if it's my brother-in-law who's in the business or my dad is really kind of maybe create that, hey, do you want me to be your brother-in-law or do you want me to be, you know, your boss? Um, you know, right now. It, it's funny, that, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I get so often people that I don't know call me and ask me about the dynamic of coaching your your child. Uh, I started this in the fourth when RJ was in the fourth grade uh, because again, you know, he would he, he would come to my practice, I would go to him, and he would ask me advice about certain things, and so he would get mad, he would cry if I I give him information. So I decided one day and said, "Listen, if you're going to ask me a question, here's the deal: after every game that you play." You got to tell me first before you ask me the question, I want you to be dead or do you want me to be a coach? Because both answers, those answers could be completely different at the time. And so even today in his professional life, he does that. And so that's something we did every single time. We did it when he was in high school and college. Uh, and it's, it really helped us in that regard. And it helped me more than anything because I knew where he was coming from and what he was feeling at that particular time that I can address. If he wanted me to be dead, then I can give him a sympathetic answer. Now, it's interesting. When he played for me in college, he got 100% coach. Even when he asked for dead, I still gave him 100% coach. I regret that. I wish I had gave him more of a balance at that time. Uh, but again, I think for anyone, whether it's in business or anything that you do with a family member, the honesty part of it, of asking them what you want, not necessarily the answer you want to hear, but the answer that you want. If you want someone, if you want, you know, you want to hear dad advice about something, you'll get dad's advice. And sometimes it might be the same way and it might be the same answer. Uh, but I do think that the person receiving it should under, they should know that and they should feel that understanding what they're looking for. That's great oh, advice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about you, uh, your tenure, you know, you, you, when you go to a, when you commit to a university, um, in the past, you've stayed there for, for quite a while. Um, and you've built mid majors up to obviously getting nationally, um, recognized and whatnot. Talk about that drive in you and what makes you want to, cause a lot of times that I, you know, I was in the coaching world for a while where, and I know you can just bounce around and try to take the most money and take the next big job and be on those, you know, be at a powerhouse in the top 25. Why take the path that you do? What is that? What brings that? What brings that drive out in you? I'll be honest. I think that comes from my background of living in Dayton and, and the things that I had to, you know, that I dealt with, you know, whether it was at resurrection when I was in grade school or Chaminade and in that regards is that I was always kind of the underdog in that, in that sense. And so, you know, even, even in basketball, you know, I lived right across the street from Rolf high school. And all the great players in my neighborhood were going to Raw. And I decided to go to Chaminade. And so, you know, the teasing and the things that I got when I decided to make that decision. And, you know, my buddies Keith Byers and those guys were out there going to state championships and doing some of those things. And they were laughing at me because I'm taking a city bus downtown on Ludlow Street going to Chaminade. And so, 
you know, uh, and those guys are great friends of mine now. But it's just interesting because that back that that whole deal of 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 I had to fight for everything I got. And so, you know, when, when, when you fight for something and you want to build it and you want to make it special, you know, I took that from a professional life, you know. And so, you know, you talk about the, the Samaritan's Feet. I, I turned down three. Well, I, got, I lost three jobs because when I told them that Samaritan's Feet comes with me, they wanted to alter it. They said, well, coach, you can't you can't bring a Christian base to it. You can't wash the feet, but we can give away the shoes. Well, then, no, you can't have me because either you're going to do the whole thing or we're not. And so I've also there were certain situations where uh, my family came first. I was at IEPY 17 years. Um, I did not want to move with my daughter. Uh, I wanted her to be in college. I want to, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want my kids to have to change high schools a lot. And so uh, sometimes as a father and as a man, you got to make decisions for your family that might be in the best interest of them, but may not be in the best interest of yourself. And so a lot of those type of things, you know, you, you just have to decide on that. But I take, I take situations that generally where people think you can't win. Uh, they said we couldn't win at IEPY and you, you can't get on a tournament. We did. I took over a Georgia State program that lost 10 straight years. And people said, man, that's a terrible decision, blah, blah, blah. We go three out of the last five years to the NCAA tournament. Uh, people were shocked that I took this job. Saying, you know, since Katrina, Tulane, man, it's tough to win here. And we're, we're, we're getting ready to show people here how to win. And so that's just been kind of my nature. Uh, I like these kind of jobs. I love when people tell me I can't do something and then uh, and, and show them that we can get it done. What do you, uh, I see you, uh, you're right now hot on the recruiting trail, uh, obviously getting some grad transfers and getting some transfers in. Um, cause when you took over this job, if I'm not mistaken, you lost 13 guys and you only had, but you have two returning, um, for anyone taking over an organization, uh, coming in, you may, you know, obviously people won't know you. Um, what advice do you have for someone who's coming in and taking over an organization where the deck is stacked against them? Uh, but, you know, there obviously could be some light on the on the other end. You know, I don't care if you're a CEO of a company or you're the CEO of a basketball program. Make it your culture. Make it about, you know, that, that, that if it doesn't work, it's because, you know, you put everything about it. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to, you know, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but you've got to make sure it's your culture. And one of the things that I decided when we do, I, I wanted to do here is that everything that they had to do with this program previously, I got rid of from the uniforms to the locker room, everything that we have to have, you know, the way we go to class, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we answer questions, because it was a losing mindset. It was a mindset that wasn't winning. And so uh, the reason that I was brought in here was to change that mindset. And so to change the mindset, sometimes you, everybody thinks it's about the X's and O's. You've got to dig deep down and you've got to change the culture of that. And so that's one of the things we did at all the stops that we had before. And so I've been blessed that I've had you know most of these guys who work with me from IEPY to Georgia State. So my staff kind of knows a lot of these type of things. But strip the culture. Uh, we, we, the, the benches, you know, they, for years here at Tulane, they sat on one side. We said, no, we're going to sit on the other side. Uh, you know, let's change what we do. Let's change how we, how we react to everything. Let's change our uniforms. And so it's just a mindset. And so, uh, we were able to do that and we kind of got a fresh start now. Uh, it reminds me a lot of what we did at Georgia state. I think it'll happen a lot quicker here than it did at Georgia state, uh, because the people are more committed to it also. And, uh, you have to be, everybody's got to be in. If you got some people in your business or you got some people on your team and they're not completely buying in, then you got to get rid of them, you know? And so sometimes that's even family members. Whatever you do in life, people aren't buying into what you want to do and you're the leader of it, then sometimes you got to let those people go. How do you, 
Calvin, I think real quick, I think we should call him Ron Underdog Hunter. I mean, this is <laughs> the biggest. We, we've had a lot of coaches on here, and this, but I think the just to jump in and and the one thing the president of Tulane said in Toy uh, uh, Troy Dannon, the AD in the hire was said always hire ambition, stick to that, and that's what we did. Uh, speaking of Tulane's search, uh, they knew you know immediately. A uh, few things run through my head. How how have we not got you at Miami? Uh, that was a big miss. Uh, we'll just I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, so just that's on record because man, we we missed we we swung and we missed big time. Not not hiring this guy way back when. But I think uh, just to just not to underplay and and just put more respect on the name is taking a program from not in D1, taking a D1 and making at IUPUI. I said that right, Calvin. You butchered that. Uh, <laughs> And, and then going to the places like Georgia State, like I love that, just like Samaritan's Feet. When someone said no, nine of ten said no, you said yes. Like that's just – and I know now I know it goes back to your, your humble roots of Dayton, Ohio, and CJ and all the great people, mentors you had you know, growing up. But that to me is, is an elite, uh, very few people that say – majority say no, I say yes because I believe in my system, I believe in the culture, I believe in what I can do. And uh, you've, you've gone and done that. So I just wanted to make sure to kind of sit on that for a second. But um, speaking of Tulane, I found it very curious in, in uh, going 12, 12 and 18 last year, turning the program. As Calvin said, I know you got some grad transfers, two good recruits coming in, five new guys, um, you know, kind of learning through there. Obviously, the AAC, we're out of Cincinnati, follow you guys pretty closely in, in this uh, Midwest area, uh, see what you guys are doing. So touch upon the building process of, Tulane, obviously, you've kind of stripped it down, as you said, and now you're building up. What's the future look like? Well, you know, when 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 I decided to leave Georgia State, um, I, I told myself if I, I I thought honestly I would retire there because I love Atlanta, uh, love what we built there, um, and I said it would have to be a very unique situation. Well, very unique situation for me, maybe not for someone else, but a very unique situation for me. Uh, a great league that are in great cities. Uh, and so that was the first thing I wanted. And then I wanted to go to a program that I could, that we can build that I took this job for one reason. I wanted to get this, this program into the sweet 16. That's something that every single day I think about, uh, because again, uh, no one's really had done that before. This is something that I want to do at this particular school. We, you know, and to do that, I felt like we, we couldn't be in a one-bed league like we were in the Sun Belt. So you had to get into a league that you felt that you can get two, three, four, uh, or sometimes five teams into the NCAA tournament. So, um, so I looked into that situation and I thought this was the perfect situation. Uh, if you haven't been in New Orleans, this is a great place to live. Um, I didn't realize they party on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, and they still don't take Sundays off here. So it's a great time to recruit to. Uh, great food here. And so for me, this became a no-brainer in that regards. And so I still have my home in Atlanta and go back and forth because my grandchild's there. But uh, – this is going to get done. Uh, I really believe I'll have this team in the Sweet 16 very soon. Uh, I love I love this this type of project. Fits right in my alley. If you kind of notice, if you look at the places that I've been, they're all been major cities, whether it's been Indianapolis or Atlanta, and now in New Orleans. Uh, I kind of work, you know, it's, you know, kind of like Dayton, Ohio, a little bit. I love being in the city. So that's and, why we didn't get you in Oxford, then. That that's the real deal. So Listen, you, play, you love, played I, there, I, you dominated there, and then that's how you just had to go to the big cities. So Cal, now yeah, we know. I'm a, I'm a, I think you know you guys got a good young coach, man. He'll get yeah, that thing going. He, 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 you know, he's he's got some work to do, but he's. I think he's on the right track. I'm, I'm really. There's some situations that Miami's had that I haven't been happy with. 
this is what I'm, I'm happy with. And, and I told him that if there's anything I can do outside taking my players that I would, I would do to help him. I have great love and great respect for, for Miami uh, of Ohio. I mean, it is, it's, it's been great to me. Uh, again, my daughter graduated from there. My son was born in Oxford. And so my wife was, uh, went to Miami, Ohio. So our roots are in, you know, in Oxford. And so, um, um, I thought one day that I would be the coach there, but again, I think that the way things work out, it's it's worked out better for for really everyone. But I haven't. Uh, I mean, I I don't follow many college scores. I just don't. I'm worried about my team and my team only. Only other school I follow is Miami Ohio in their scores, football, basketball, uh, just because of what that place meant to me and what it still means to my family. You know, um, I don't like wearing red, but every once in a while I wear a little red. Uh, for them to do this or when they're playing UC or they're playing uh, Dayton, for example, you know, it was always that when I played our biggest rival at that. Yeah, we love um, look back at some of your days and what you did at Miami. We're both really involved at Miami. And, um, you know, I uh, reached out. I think you babysit with one of the AD, Jude Killey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I got all these guys saying, oh, you guys got Ron Hunter. This is this is great. And uh, I was listening to some of your other stuff. And it's amazing how much you do talk about your college experience and your teammates, not just Ron Harper, but the coaches you had and the success you had at Miami, that was one of the best runs of basketball, if not the best run in Miami basketball history. And I don't think people really understand that or it's been some time has passed, obviously. And, um, you know, appreciate you being an ambassador of Miami University as well. And I know that was an important piece as you've obviously become the underdog and have your success. So, well, no, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, my, my man, Ron Harper, I'm still, you know, he, he, he's still, you know, he's got his five championship rings and, you know, he made all this hundreds of millions of dollars and he made all this off my missed shots that I had in Miami. He would rebound my missed shots, put them in. He averaged 17. I averaged four because of my missed shots. He doesn't give me any money. He doesn't do anything. I don't even get like a ring or anything like that. All he wants to do is call me all the time. So no, that's my brother, man. He's been great. And, uh, um, uh, we laugh. I mean, I am. I mean, we really would love to see Miami get back to those days. Uh, you know, when we would go to Millette and we'd go to Millette Hall and on a Saturday and there was eight, nine thousand people sitting in there and cheering. And, and, uh, man, it was, uh, it was a great time. We still talk about that often. And, uh, you know, and not only him, you know, Eric Newsom, we, I talked to a lot of the guys. We, do you we, play with, do you play with Carlton Claiborne? No, Carlton played with me. He was a young guy, man. He played with me. <laughs> he carried my bag. Carlton played, you know, he was a young guy. You know, he was a freshman, and, and yeah, he had to do all the things we told him to do. But, no, Carlton was a good player, man. Really enjoyed playing with Carlton. And we had some really good teams. You know, I, three, three of my four years, we went to the NCAA tournament. And, and really, all three games we lost in the NCAA tournament, we should have won all three uh, against Len Bias. And then and, and Hornacek hit the shot, you know, to beat us. And we beat, uh, lost at SMU with John Conkak. And so uh, it was a great times, man, days that I'll, I'll never forget. And speaking, Calvin, real quick, just to go back to DNA and and relating to Miami, the teams you had, Georgia State, IUPUI, so and so forth. What do you see uh, the two recruits you're bringing in and then the three uh, transfers of like culture? Like, what do you value? Obviously, you talked a lot about in some of the interviews I saw as being the right fit for the system. You did talk about some of the culture, but what do you how do you turn the culture or turn the program around with culture. So not only do they have talent, but how, how are you grading their culture aspect? You know, those borderline guys that 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 are, you know, not maybe the four or five star guys that, that you that you can coach up and make better. You know, we'll recruit guys and say, listen, man, you know what? Cincinnati didn't recruit you. Come over here and let's let them let's show them. 
You know what? They didn't recruit you. Or you know what? Uh, Houston, you know what? They, 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 they took this other guy. Let's go out there and show them. You know what? They didn't hire me either. Let's all get mad. Let's work together. So, so again, we play. I coach with an edge. I want my players to play with an edge. And if they don't play with that edge or they don't have that, they have no shot at playing for me. So every game that we go into, you know, again, we, you know, I even make stuff up. You know, I, I love the coaches in our league. We play Cincinnati, and I and John's a really good coach, and I really like John a lot. But I just saw him, and I was like, you know what, he's just too tall. I don't like tall guys <laughs> like that. You know what, there's something about those tall guys. He's taller than I am. And, you know, so you just find something where you find an edge. And so uh, that's kind of what that's kind of kids I want. I want those guys playing with an edge. And, you know, I did that way at Chaminade, man. I played with an edge. And, and so I want those type of players. And that's the mentality that I want. So, you know what, then we don't have to worry about whoever we play. We didn't care less. We'll play at a park. You know, you talk about canceling the season. We ain't got to cancel the season, man. We'll just meet up. Or we'll meet in Mississippi, Arkansas. Let's just go play. And I want those kind of guys. I don't want those guys that, you know, that need the Nikes and they want to look all pretty and all that. I don't want those guys. I don't want those guys that look like they went to University of Dayton. I want those guys that look like they went to Miami, Ohio. That's a shout at my UD brothers. I like it. I like <laughs> it. I like I it. I hear you, brother. I, might have I to love it. For some of my UD guys, too. And I, think, <laughs> I think one of the common themes that I'm starting to see over the last probably three or four months from, again, from the Bulls thing, from, you know, everything you've heard about Kobe Bryant to what you've said is guys who compete at the highest level find a way or make up something that is going to give them that competitive edge that's going to drive them to compete at a higher level. So whether it's being how tall someone is or someone didn't hold the door for you, they didn't recruit you, whatever it is, you find that small little thing and it's going to drive you to make sure you come out on top. And I think that's awesome. Oh, there's no question. You know, every morning I wake up now, I have a thing above my bed that says, when the pandemic. There's going to be some coaches that are going to lose what I call during this pandemic time. So what I'm trying to do, I don't know when we're going to play or how it's going to work, but I know we're going to be ready. And so what I've got to do this Tuesday is I got to be the best coach Tuesday in our conference. So I got to find something that somebody else isn't doing. I got to, if it's just one little thing that I can do to give me an edge over somebody, then that's what I'm going to do. And so uh, that's, that's kind of been my model right now, just win the pandemic, because this is difficult times right now. And I think everybody should, let's not worry what's going to happen two months from now, two weeks from now. Let's beat today. Let's really win today. That's the message I'm trying to get to our guys today. That's the message I woke up with this morning, win the pandemic. So I'm still trying to figure out what's that one thing. So when I go to bed tonight, I could think, man, I did this. I got this little edge over my my uh, my opponents today. And if we can take anything, you said a lot of knowledge nuggets. That is the ultimate knowledge nugget that nobody's really talked about. Just win the pandem- pandemic. Keep it simple. Win win against COVID nineteen today. Yep. You know what? What beat it? You know, just win win the day. That's that's uh, wow. That it's so simple, but so important to uh, just attack each day and, and take it down. I, I love it. Great mindset. So, coach, at the ev- at the end of every uh, podcast, we have a rapid fire. Um, so we we do have uh, a few here. I don't think too hot. We call it the hot seat. But quick shout out to uh, your son-in-law, Nick Wimbush, another Miami guy. What what, yeah. what do you what do you like about uh, your son-in-law? Let's throw him on the hot seat. What 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 what's uh, what's Mr. Wimbush all about? I don't like anything about him. Very much. <laughs> I still pissed at Nick. I mean, Nick, 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 you know, Nick's great kid, man. He's all that, but he still married my daughter. You know, uh, I, 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 I called him the other day. They, you know, he's, he's Nick's a great kid, but I called him the other day and it's early in the morning and he wasn't at work. And I'm like, what are you talking? Why aren't you at work right now? And then he says, well, you know, I'm sitting here with, with Jasmine, your daughter. And then I thought about, it. I'm like, oh no, no, no. She's still my daughter. You go in another room. 
I got to go to another room. I want to talk to my daughter by herself. It may I, it messed my whole day up that I realized that they were in the same bedroom together. It just, oh, I was so mad. And then I realized, I know I got a granddaughter, but still, just the fact that, no, y'all were in the same room, oh, I was so mad at him. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> oh man i just that that is amazing yeah i i'm glad i asked that question that was that was oh man I, that's i don't now, know if we older, can talk rj or your daughter my daughter's older my daughter is uh 31 31 30, yeah she's older so because i've got a four-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son so just kind of i'm interested to see how that dynamic hey let me out. tell you what your son if you you have a great time with but your daughter let, let the first time when the boy wants to come over to your house and he's 16 or 17, he wants to come and visit, you know, here's a perfect thing you should do. They thought I was crazy because I'm coaching all the way over. You know, I coach all over the place. I'm doing an active while. But I let my hair kind of grow out, and I opened the door, and I had a shirt that was ripped in the middle, and I had two knives in my hand. And Neil was coming to the door. I said, I got it. I walk in with two knives, and I had shaved, and I opened the door, and he, he was like, Coach? And I'm like, yeah, what? And he said, but he wanted to, you know, he's like, I'm here to see your daughter. I said, all right, come on in. And so what I did is I took the shirt with the knife and I ripped another hole in. He thought I was absolutely crazy. So they broke up after the next day. Didn't worry. So those are things you need to be thinking about, man. You know, your daughter, she won't be real happy with you, but it keeps the boys away. Oh. I'm glad we got this on record because I will be referencing this in about 10 years. Yeah, yes, you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is this is stuff that will last forever, Calvin. So as awesome. as she as she gets into uh, as Oakley gets into the dating scene, you'll you'll be uh, you'll be referencing Coach Hunter, Coach Hunter with the with the parenting knowledge nugget. So we do got to work on his diaper speed, but no, um, no, I, I'm 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 okay. It's just like my granddaughter. You know what? For for her first Christmas. I decided, and it's her first, she's not even six, seven months old. I decided to go to Tiffany's and get her a blue box. And I got some diamond earrings. And they're like, why did you do that? Because there's no boy that she's going to date that's going to say, hey, here's your first diamond that you got. No, my grandfather already did it. What? So she already has a blue box. She don't need some guy to give her a diamond because her grandfather did it. When she was so one. That's how you protect them. <laughs> uh, that is perfect. Oh, right. man. <laughs> All right. So we got one more, and that's my partner may have another one, but a lot of people, um, as you referenced, Ron Harper, uh, obviously an NBA great, five-time NBA champion from Dayton, Ohio, long-time best friend of yours. Um, can you tell us maybe a quick basketball memory of you and Ron Harper, one that really stands out uh, when you think back? Man, we've had some 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 great times, and uh, one we talked about on the golf course the other, last time we were together was kind of funny. We were, we were playing Maryland. Um, in the NCAA tournament and right before and it's actually at UD Arena and we we're in practice and we were debating on who was going to guard Lynn Bias and I was adamant let me guard him I got him you just do your thing man let me guard him and he was like no I got him so we finally agreed that I would guard Lynn Bias so we get in this we get in the game and and uh still one of my greatest things I told the players just the other day probably one of the greatest things I ever did is I held Lynn Bias at 38 and I was and I was so and Ron was like He's pissed at me now. He's like, I, I said, what do you mean? I did a great job guarding him. I held him to 38. If he had had 40, it would have been that close. And so we still go back to Ryan for years called me 38. So <laughs> <laughs> that was my nickname was 38 for a long time. <laughs> and that is awesome. And, you know, uh, Ron Harper's brother um, lives two doors down from my mom. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so I met. I haven't met him yet, but I met his wife the other weekend uh, when I was at my mom's house. Great, he was out walking. Oh, serious, man! I, you know, for for to have a college roommate for three or four years, man, he was, uh, 
you know, he's a, he's a better person than he is a basketball player. Uh, Ron and I had a lot of good times, and there's some times we can't even talk about that we had in Oxford on this show. But uh, uh, Ron's a great, great man and has been a great friend. And it's funny because every one of his championship games I had been to, and when I go to the NCAA tournament, every single one, he was there with me when RJ hit the shot. He's, and so we, we've really been a part of each other's lives from, you know, really ever since day one. Would love. I'm just gonna ask. Think he'd be a be willing to be a guest on the Underdog Podcast? To Ron? Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't get him off. Oh my God, he's talking the whole time. So. <laughs> no, you know the thing is, Ron, Ron has been very private. You know, even with the whole deal, I was really, you know, you you brought up this deal about the uh, uh, the last dance, and and I was, I thought there should have been more feature about Ron on there. Mm-hmm, yeah. I agree. I mean, he's got all the championships. He played with both Kobe and Michael, and so uh, um, if anyone asked me what I thought was the one thing that shouldn't have happened on there, he should have got more time on it. I during that time, I had him talk to our team. Uh, right, right, the one, right after the last broadcast or the last, the last dance, uh, he came on the next day and talked to our players, and so, uh, and basically, you know, they would ask him questions, and one of the questions was that, and so, you know, Ron would never politically say anything wrong with that, but I said it for him. I just think uh, from all he's done in his career and on that particular team, uh, there should have been a lot more said about him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I said the same thing. No doubt, no doubt. He was such a critical piece, and um, no, I appreciate you being so open and transparent. I mean, I. I know why. I mean, I would love to play for you. I was that Absolutely. good at basketball, but uh, you know, I would I would have loved. I mean, you're you're just your energy, your optimism. Um, obviously, you've sustained excellence. So, um, more uh, more success to you, coach, and everything you're doing. And uh, I know you're making a big impact on your platform is changing lives truly on and off the court, student athletes, and obviously the folks and in, uh, in the in the outreach you're doing there with Samaritan's Feet. Um, how do people follow you or? Tulane, or how, how can anyone that's listening in our underdog community uh, engage with you? Well, man, I'm not, you know, it's going to sound crazy. I'm not a big social media person, but mm-hmm. you know, again, I, you can go to, I don't know what you go to, to be honest with you. My, my staff does all that stuff. I, <laughs> I don't, the Slack chat, whatever, all that other stuff they got, man. I, I, just just follow me. Just Google my name and follow. Sure. You know what I am doing? I'm, I'm coming to Dayton in a couple of weeks because I haven't seen my mom in a while because of the pandemic. And so I'm actually going to come. My wife, we're going to come. My wife's from Urbana. Ohio. So we're going to go see our parents for the first time for a while. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to drive back. I'm going to drive on Ludlow Street. There better be some sign on Ludlow that says, Ron Hunter, I, you, you better have a homeless person. Somebody better be sitting up there with, if it's not a statue, something to welcome me when I come back in two weeks to Dayton. I haven't been in Dayton in a couple of years. And so I'm excited to get back there and I'm going to go back on, on uh, Ludlow Street, see my old high school. But uh, man, you can follow whatever. I, I love Dayton. I, I think it's one of the greatest cities in the world. Uh, when people ask me where I'm from, I'm proud to say that I'm from you know the gym city. And I'm from Dayton, Ohio. I grew up on Becker Drive over on the west side of Dayton, man. I'm that, that's 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 my that's my roots. I'm excited about it, and uh, I can't wait to get there in a couple weeks to see mom, my dad also. I feel the same way. I'm so happy to hear you say that, man. I I, I think Dayton's an awesome city, man. I love to call it home, and and you know as Kyle just mentioned, you know it's been great having you on the show. We appreciate you taking the time with everything going on. I know things are hectic as we have no clue what the future really holds right now as far as as far as sports, but uh, keep doing what you're doing. You know, we're, we're definitely watching. We're definitely rooting for you. And I think now after this conversation, we're even bigger fans of yours. So um, I'm going to hold you to that, getting Ron Harper on the show. <laughs> we'll get that done, man. We'll get awesome. that done. Hey, guys, I appreciate you. Thank you. All, All right, right. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. All right. Yep. Good luck to you. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thanks, brother. Uh-huh.
Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.